Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Sophie Zucker was the youngest writer on staff at The Daily Show when she started in 2023, only to find herself and all of her colleagues out of work this summer due to the ongoing Writers Guild strike. Zucker got her comedy start in New York's Brooklyn scene, forming a sketch collective called Ladies Who Ranch. She then picked up her first gig on screen in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and followed that up with parts in The Other Two and the film Late Night. But she really broke through as both an actress and writer, playing Abby on Apple TV's Dickinson. Zucker spoke with me about her climb up the comedy ladder, how she and her colleagues felt at the beginning of the strike, and what she might hope to see at The Daily Show when she returns, as well as her preparations to take her one-woman show, Sophie Sucks Face, to the 2023 Edinburgh Fringe. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance, and now that that's out of the way, let's get to it! So, Sophie Zucker, last things first, I have to ask, since when we scheduled this, you were on staff as a writer at The Daily Show mm-hmm. at County Central. How are you doing? Honestly, okay. I, you know, we knew the strike was coming for a long time, um, and I agree with all of the demands, and I think what we're asking for is sort of some some pretty substantial changes to the way that like uh especially like the streaming industry operates so i was prepared that it was coming and i was prepared that it was going to take a long time and i've been picketing and it feels good uh you know we've been especially in new york really focused on like shutting down <laughs> productions and that feels like the only cool vigilante thing i'll like ever be a part of as a you know tv writer um, but I'm bored. I am a little bored. <laughs> that hit this week. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> right. Because, I mean, the last Writers Guild strike was almost 16 years ago. Yes, I was in it was, I was in high school. <laughs> <laughs> Did you imagine when you so when you were in high school during the previous Writers Guild strike, were you at that point imagining a career in screenwriting or acting or what was the path that you were envisioning for yourself then? Um, I think it's so funny. Cause like, I love, I loved acting and I did like musicals and plays and all of that stuff. And I did like writing, but I didn't really like do it outside of class, but okay. I also knew very early on or, or thought I knew that I didn't want to be an actor because it seemed impossible like I was just like how does anyone I don't know I like had this weird I grew up in New York City so maybe it's just like a New York you know I I was sort of like knew what the viz was maybe when Mm -hmm. I was like a little younger but it just seemed impossible so I actually thought I wanted to be a musician for a long time okay yeah according to Google that's been successful because if you type Sophie Zucker into Google the first thing that comes up is Sophie Zucker musical artist Oh, <laughs> so that's how um, Google has defined you. That's cool. I'm I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I did music for 
uh, I was like a classically trained pianist and I played for 18 years and then I, you know, learned like music theory and composing and that kind of stuff and always loved to sing and, and, and took voice lessons and all of that stuff. And then, and love to write, love to write songs, not necessarily funny songs, but sometimes <laughs> sort of funny songs. Did you go, since you grew up in, in the city, did you go to the magnet performing arts schools or... Um, I didn't, I, like, I didn't go to LaGuardia. I went to, I went to Hunter, um, which was a magnet school that had a good performing arts program, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda went to Hunter and I did a lot of the, the shows there and stuff, but no, there wasn't like a particular focus. I still had to take all those other classes too. (laughs) But your, your first success in show business wasn't music or writing. It was acting, right? Yeah. Yeah. So how did so how did that how did that happen for you when that wasn't in the cards? So okay, so basically, I thought I wanted to do music for a long time, and then mm-hmm. I got to college, and I sort of on a whim auditioned for an improv team, and I really loved it, and I got on, and I really loved it, and and then I started doing like, like sketch and like writing for our sort of like offbeat, sometimes satirical newspaper, and and then instead of going um abroad or whatever which a mm-hmm. lot of people do junior year I just took time off and went to Chicago to do this program at Second City to sort of see if comedy was like the thing that I really wanted to do and I loved being in Chicago and and, and I loved the program but I also just loved like going to Mike's and like you know being in that sort of in between space where you're just working towards this goal and performing an improv show for like three people in a basement i just really liked that in a way that i hadn't sort of connected with like the gigging in between um i guess like schedule or pattern with like music and so then i came back to new york and or sorry came back to uh, oberlin where i went to school graduated and was like i'm going to try and do comedy and TV writing. And then I was just like doing what, you know, a lot of people do, uh, performing at working a day job and performing at comedy theaters. And then that's how I got like an, a manager, um, and an agent. And they started sending me out for acting roles because that mm-hmm. was sort of what was available to them at the time. And then I, got and then I got them so then I was like oh I am an actor (laughs) well okay so what year did you graduate from Oberlin I graduated in 2015 2015 okay and then you come straight back to the city yeah and then when you got representation was that before or after you were putting out videos um Or, or were the videos the thing that got you representation no well which which videos just like I don't know which I, mean, I didn't look to see what order they were all in, but I know you like did like web series and sketches and yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, I think mo- the thing that got me representation was my live performance. I was like hanging okay. out. I was hanging out a lot at um. I'm like I'm sure I made like a couple videos in there, but I've never been a super super online um, person. I sort of like do it as as the industry uh, necessitates, but. Okay, so where did you go as a new college graduate in the city to hang out and get stage time? I went to The Annoyance, New York, okay. which has sort of morphed into Brooklyn Comedy Collective, where I still 
frequent. But that's um, where I saw the show, right? Yes, that's yes, that's right. Okay. So it was really fun to do my show there because that really feels like my sort of home base. Um, I went to Annoyance. Annoyance was like a literal basement underneath a jazz club where I thought the best comedy was happening. Like I felt like I was watching and, and then a few years proved it, you know, all the people that are sort of like succeeding in, in comedy. I really saw them all perform an annoyance, but then it was also a really intimate community. So you could get on stage a fair amount and get booked on shows. And yeah. Is that where you met the ladies who, the other ladies who ran? Yes. So um, I, Maya, I knew actually from Oberlin. Mm -hmm. So when we graduate and we had done, we were, uh, captains of feuding improv teams, but we were friends. Okay. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so we sort of like came to New York and, and hung out. We like say this thing where like every Thursday we would just like hang out at annoyance for like six hours in a row, watch like every show that ended with the show. Holy fuck. And just like beg for someone to like flirt with us or like invite <laughs> us to where they were going to drink. We were like 23. Mm -hmm. um, and so I had known Maya before and she was a good friend. But then, yeah, the rest of the ladies I met there and our first show was there too. There was like a 20 minute slot slot that like kind of just opened up. And mm -hmm. Maya and I were like, what if we asked those other girls who we think are really funny to do some stuff with us? And then, yeah. And then how long did it take for the five of you to begin putting on shows and finding venues that would have you do your nonsense yeah. shenanigans. Not, not that long. I mean, I think we did, we did it the first time at annoyance. It felt really good. Then annoyance closed and my friend Ian started running. Um, Ian Lockwood started running a comedy night at this bar South fourth bar that's no longer, but was like around the corner from annoyance where we used to go all the time anyway. So then we started doing our shows there and then we just sort of like incrementally like started uh, doing them at like slightly larger, more theatery spaces. Then we did it at um, vital joint, uh, which is used to be run by Teresa who runs the brick now. Okay. Um, and then, and then maybe we were doing it at BCC again when BCC opened. And then Union Hall actually reached out to us and was like, "Do you want to do the show at Union Hall?" We were like, "We made it!" <laughs> <laughs> um, and now we're really busy. Uh, we have a show um, in development, and we don't perform as much, but we still do a couple of shows here and there. Okay. Yeah. What's the sh What's the show in development? Um. It's an animated show. Uh, okay. It's about uh, the best female hackers in the world called Hackerettes. And we've been working on it for a really long time. And we were in the middle of pitching it um, to good responses. And then the strike happened. Oh. I, I, I hope that um, I think some, something will happen with it. And I hope that it ends up, you know, being ultimately very successful and getting made. But we'll see. Right. Yeah. Hit it. I mean, I suppose the studio could pick it up, but you just couldn't, you, they would just do it knowing you wouldn't do any work on it. So if, if you, if you want logistically, know, yeah, um, between, between you and I and whoever's listening to this, whenever they're listening to it, um, mm -hmm. technically most animated shows are not WGA, mm. they're IOTC. So there is a world in which this all 
we could just move forward with it. But IATSE has been really great about not crossing our picket lines. And as a WGA writer myself and our showrunner is a WGA writer, you know, we just don't want to undermine the strike. Um, so that's kind of where we're at. But yeah, I mean, things could. <laughs> right. I mean, IATSE narrowly avoided a strike just a couple of years ago. Yeah. But I think so. a lot of them think they, they should have. Yeah. And now, right, because now SAG is in the middle of authorizing a vote. Yes. And yes. Are, are you a SAG member? I am. I am. Right. I figure yeah, at this point you have to have enough credits. Yeah. Yeah. Double, double union. Um, <laughs> sort of bounce back and forth between whatever healthcare is being offered to me, uh, depending right. on who, in which capacity I worked the year before. Uh, so what was, so what was going on with your comedy career when you started to pick up TV? TV gigs? Um, I really just like I was, you mean like TV writing or acting? Or? Uh, well, the acting came first, right? With like yeah. things like your stints on Maisel or yeah. other two or. So I was, I was like performing a lot. You know, it's like this thing when you first get into comedy and then all of your friends are running shows everywhere. And then all of a sudden you have like four shows a week. Um, so I was performing a lot of little shows and I was, working a day job where I was answering phones for a startup, uh, men's razors. Um, that's no longer a startup. Now they're very successful. I didn't have anything to do with that, but <laughs> they employed me for a year and then, mm -hmm. well, I'll tell you, it fired me. But, um, uh, <laughs> and then the very first audit, the very first TV, I had, Oh, I've been doing some commercial auditions and I okay. hadn't booked any of those, but I was getting used to auditioning a lot. Mm -hmm. And then the very first TV audition I booked was The Marvelous Miss Maisel. And it was the, and it was the first TV audition I ever had. So I was like, and I got fired because I had to leave to go to the audition. And my <laughs> work was kind of pissed at me. And I was like, look, I'm just going to go to the audition. It's not, it's not, it, don't, it won't turn into anything. And then I'll be back at work for the rest of the week. And right. then I booked the role and then I had to be out for an entire day. And then uh, they fired me. So, yeah. <laughs> but then my manager was like, oh my God, this is the first one we ever sent you on. And they started sending me on a bunch more. And I booked five in like six months. Wow. So just little one line stuff. Right. But then they were like, okay, well now you're quickly using up all of the shows in New York. You know, you can't <laughs> be on Law and Order again. You can't be on the other two again. <laughs> um, so, uh you, we have to start sending out for bigger stuff. And then shortly after that, I got Dickinson, which was like the largest role that I had had at that time. And, and Dickinson was like game changer for you. Yeah. Wasn't it? Because that also got you into the writer's room. Yeah. Dickinson was like, first of all, just having a part where I, they needed me for six months and I was on set, you know, for every other episode. And it was like, okay, I don't need, well, at the time I thought I didn't need my, Day job, although in retrospect, I got very lucky that I got asked to be a part of the writer's room because I definitely would have had to get a job, gotten a job after that first season payment. But you don't know. You're like, oh, my God, I'm getting paid some whatever. Yeah. And then I got really close with Elena Smith, who created the show just from being on set. I think we have sort of similar comedic sensibility. I think she sort of writes. She writes parts that I love to play. And then she knew that I was a writer and she sort of asked to see some of my stuff. And then she invited me to be a part of the writer's room. And so then I did double duty acting and writing for the rest of the seasons. And what was that writer's room like? 
Especially since you were also an actor. Yeah, I tried really hard to not just jump in for like scenes that were about me or sort of like my adjacent characters. My characters mm-hmm. like part of this like crew, right, of girls. I really loved writing for for Haley, for Emily Dickinson. I loved writing for Jane Krakowski, for Mrs. Dickinson. But it was amazing. I mean, I just learned I learned so much about what a writer's room is like. You know, we just like sit around and we talk all day and and how to break an episode and break story and how to write an episode and i i also learned a lot about like being it sounds kind of corny but like really like being an artist with a passion because elena i think writes from like such a place of like yeah just like care and like fire and um it really made me think a lot about the kind of things that I want to make and put my time into and how to sort of like access that inspiration and those feelings as opposed to just write, not just writing what I could write, but writing what I need to write. Um, And that, yeah, that was like really invaluable. And then the second, the second season that I did for them was over zoom. (laughs) So it wasn't as fun. Mm -hmm. Um, and then even after the Zoom room ended, I actually like ended up going through a lot of the episodes with Elena, like it, with a, one other writer, just sort of reworking them again. It's, the Zoom room is hard, but yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. I mean, one of the things about that show too is that you know Emily Dickinson isn't wasn't famously known for having a fun life, right? <laughs> <laughs> but the show injects this fun into it in part by pretending like. They talk like we talk now. Yeah. She was kind of like early on that. You know, now there's so many shows like that, like The Great or Bridgerton or whatever. Right, yeah. But she, she, she was really ahead on that curve. And I think just looking at, obviously, how, you know, trend, uh, you know, history repeats itself and how things that were happening in the 19th century are also happening now and how that affects the youth. And then we also did do another thing I learned. We did a lot of research, which I think you can kind of tell when you watch the show. You know, we we were assigned books about, um, you know, culture in the 1800s and Emily Dickinson, certain characters that we were bringing in. And so we actually did learn about what kids did for fun in that Mm. time and who Emily Dickinson was before she shut herself in her room, you know, which was kind of like an, an offbeat weirdo poetry girl which is fun <laughs> i mean today we might say she was working remote yeah <laughs> no today she wouldn't be weird at all she, she's working from home <laughs> yeah, the WNFH a lesbian and they wouldn't even bat an eye so yeah right did you have any other writer's room gigs between that and the daily show or did you go straight from that to no, I I um I had like some stuff that was in development and pitching mm-hmm. and stuff, but I didn't have no writing. I did a movie that still hasn't come out yet. No idea when it's going to come out. Uh, perhaps could be lost to the streaming mm. uh, <laughs> stuff forever. And then yeah, and then I did, and then the Daily Show. And you just joined the Daily Show in January, right? Yeah, yeah. Which means you joined. It was already chaos yeah. because they didn't have a host. <laughs> so you get hired and it's not like probably anyone else who had gotten hired for the daily show, no matter what their age was. Cause all of the press on you likes to tell that you're the youngest 
writer yes. <laughs> for yes. the show. Uh, only but, by like a year, but I'll right. take it. <laughs> but the more interesting thing to me is that everybody else who was hired was hired for Craig Kilborn or John Stewart or yes. Trevor Noah. You're you're like, I, who am I writing for? I know. Every week it's someone different. I do wonder, like, you'll have to ask, you know, the the showrunners and the and the head writer like what they were looking for because they didn't know what the voice of the show was going to be but I remember even going into like my final interview and everyone was kind of like we don't really know what it's going to look like but we're excited (laughs) and And we we love your voice right right they were like and there was and there was a lot of there was strong point of view in your Mm -hmm. (laughs) your pack and I was like well nothing if not a strong point of view but um so what did they assign you to between January and May 1st? What what was your, were you writing for a specific correspondent or? No, I was, it, basically the way that it works is everyone writes for everyone. Okay. So um, I was, you know, first, and, and we prepare for the guest host. So like mm-hmm. Leslie Jones was a really great one to start with because she has such a clear voice. Um, it was really fun to write jokes it really, really easy to picture jokes that she would say because I right. can hear her talking in my head. <laughs> and so, but, uh, and the other ones you'd like watch their a special or listen to a podcast that they've done or whatever. We pitch ideas for different correspondents every day for, I, I do like to write for Desi, but I also like weirdly got a lot of stuff on Jordan Klepper's week. The press has been really nice and they've been like, wow, it's amazing to watch the daily show like shift to these different perspectives every week. But I also think the daily show tone is pretty strong and it's mm-hmm. more like fitting them in to our tone. Right. Um, so mostly I was just write, learning how to write late night jokes. Okay. So my buddy, Jason Zinneman at the New York times put in print that he hoped that the guest host thing would be the new format to make yes. it kind of like Saturday night live where it's a new host every week. I know. I know that's gotten some pushback, um, but there's some other people who like it. My idea, which I put in my newsletter a few weeks ago, was that I think instead of doing that, there should be four hosts, one for each day, a Monday host, a Tuesday host, a Wednesday host, mm. and a Thursday host. Yeah. Which of the ideas do you <laughs> like better? Here's what I'll say. And again, I'm new. I only worked there for like four-ish months. <laughs> right. Happened. So I'm, and as I said, I am the youngest writer there. So I <laughs> <laughs> for nothing. But I think a new host a week right. is unsustainable, not in terms of what we do. I honestly think we could do it. And it felt like people were very excited. Um, a new host coming in every week. It just like, you know, some people have been there for 10 years. So it's like, it's fun to have someone new to write for. Right. But I can't think of 40 people a year who I would want to see do the daily show. Like it's mm-hmm. not SNL where it's like, Oh, it's really fun to watch like Tom Brady try to act. I'm like, I don't want to see Tom Brady sit <laughs> behind a desk and wa- read a prompter. <laughs> like it's it, a few, even some of the people we've had on it couldn't do it that much. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like, so I think, yes, I think, maybe a group of hosts. I think your idea is great. I know they were, there were a lot of ideas they were kicking around. We had just mm-hmm. announced actually right before the strike, the newest batch. And right. One of those batches was groups of the correspondents. Okay. So um, I think it would be cool. I think everyone seems to be really into it. I was literally at a bar last night and some, a friend of mine who I didn't even think was 
really a fan of the daily show was like, I love watching it with all the hosts. So I think it's cool, but, um, who knows? Who knows? And and personally, for my own job security, they <laughs> never hire a permanent host. Then there's never anyone who can come in and be like, you know what? I want my own writing staff. So mm. rotating is good for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, you said that you knew this whole time that the strike was going to happen or yeah. on the horizon. So when when they announced the the summer slate or the May and June slate, of hosts and you know you show up may 1st with dulce for day one of her week did did all did dulce or like costa or like the other people down the line did they all have this sense of like well this is not happening or yeah i think everyone knew i was talking to costa like weeks before that because we had worked on some piece and he was like damn i can't believe my week is scheduled (laughs) right in the middle of the writer's strike so it's like people kind of yeah, people, I think people knew. I mean, pe- maybe people were hopeful that it wouldn't have to come to this, but I think the the vibe was very much like May 1st, last day of work. What was that last day like with, with Dulce it being her first night and all? I know. I actually, I'm, I hate to say it, that was, I was working remotely. I We get one remote day a week oh. and I was like, I wanted to go in because I knew it was going to be the last day, but I had gotten in really late from um, Cabo that weekend. (laughs) So Ah. (laughs) I stayed, so I worked, so I don't know exactly what the vibe was like, but um, I see them all the time because we're, we're picketing and we have our own little WhatsApp group and we coordinate, you know. I know you can't speak for the show, but it's got to throw a whole wrench into their plan of being able to announce a new host for September. Yeah, I really have no, I mean, I don't, it's funny, like, I obviously have no idea, right, you're like, the... I don't even think they, I don't even think our higher-ups necessarily know if yeah. we're going to, if they, if we're going to come back and have a new host, or if we're going to come back and pick up where we left off. Yeah. I mean, I would love to pick up where we left, I'm, I was, like, really excited about the people that they announced, you know, and, 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 and we hadn't even gone through all of our, like, Ronnie and Costa, and, you know, not everyone had gotten a week, so. Right feels like we should at least do that but you know (laughs) i'm not in charge and i think sometimes even like our high it's like it's the studio right freaking studio well at least you know part of the reason we had scheduled this before the strike was that you already have this other plan for the summer yeah which is your one one woman musical (laughs) about the shiva to end all shivas yes sophie sucks face yeah how long have you been working on this? Not to not to try to tie down the date and the plate and the yeah. names and <laughs> I've been working on it for about a year and a half. Okay. I wrote it last January. Um and then first performed it last March. How has it changed in the last year? Um it's been mostly little little tweaks here and there, you know, just like punching up jokes, adding a song, changing some choreography, changing my costume, just anything to make it sort of a little sharper, a little funnier. Doing it one last time in New York before I go to the Fringe Festival in August. And that will be the first time that I've shaved it down significantly. So it's, uh, it runs about an hour 15 and I'm trying to get it closer to an hour. So that will be like some bigger changes. But honestly, I spent 
so long thinking about it, outlining it, sort of just like sitting in like the thoughts and the themes and the stuff and the music and musical stylings that I wanted to um, write that when I finally like, you know, pounded it out in January, it was pretty close to what I wanted it to be. Now, it's one thing to do it at your home base at BCC, where you know everybody and all your friends can show up and cheer you. It's another thing to take it to Edinburgh, Scotland, (laughs) and do it night after night for three and a half weeks. (laughs) Have what, what, who have you talked to? What have you done? I know there's still a couple months to prepare, but what have you done to? Other than trying to shave 15 minutes off of it, what have you yeah. done to prepare yourself so, mentally and professionally for this adventure? Yeah, professionally, you know, me, I have uh, two wonderful producers who help me put it on here in New York and, and L.A. occasionally. And um, that's Zach Schiffman and Rachel Moss. And we sort of at the beginning of this year in the fall, which was already, I guess, compared to some other people's schedules, sort of late to be diving into the Edinburgh prep phase. But we um, just like met with a lot of people who had done it before and asked them what they, uh, what they did. And, you know, people whose shows were successful. I talked to Sam Blumenfeld who directed Emily Wilson's show. And we talked Mm -hmm. to Gabe Malika, who's having like a great run at Soho Playhouse and, and a couple of other people. So we learned sort of like the, just like the nuts and bolts of like, what sort of venues you apply to, where you want to be, who you want on your team, you know, do you want a publicist? Do you want a UK based producer? Do you want blah, 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 all this stuff? Here's what you should spend money on. Here's what you shouldn't. But then in terms of like the like personal <laughs> preparation, you know, my, I work with a vocal coach that I think is going to be the hardest part about doing it 25 nights is my voice. And she told me that I should start building some physical stamina just in general, not even vocally. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause I, you know, I dance and I, whatever. And then I think I, I'm just expecting it to be sort of an insane push uh, my little sister's coming with me to help run tech. And okay. uh, so that I think will be nice to have like someone and my, and, and Zach and Rachel are going to be there. And then I ha- I do have a UK producer who will be there. So I feel like I have a good, like a good support system in place, but yeah, I really don't know what it's going to feel like. And I'm not expecting it to be easy at all. Yeah. Have you, have you allowed yourself to look into the future, even past the fringe to see, like what this show might become. Yeah. I have really big dreams for it. Um, Cause it's just my favorite thing that I've made so far. I would love to get, I used to say, I would love to get an off Broadway run, you know, somewhere maybe back to Soho Playhouse, maybe Cherry Lane. If we have like the right kinds of investors and producers and stuff, I used to say off Broadway. Now I'm like Alex Edelman shows on Broadway. So I'm like, okay, Hey, fuck it. I'll do eight weeks of Broadway. Then I'll really be like proving my high school self wrong. (laughs) Who was like, I'm not going to musical theater. It's not lucrative (laughs) enough. Well, beggars can't be choosers. Um, So, and then I really want to make it a movie musical. And I've been part of the reason why I did it out in LA was to sort of plant that idea in some people's minds. And some people were excited about it. And I think depending. You did have Rachel Bloom. I did. I have. We've got so some great. experience putting musicals on on yes. screen. Yes, yes. Um, and I've been talking to a couple people about that. Um, although, again, those conversations sort of halted because of the writer strike. But um, 
that, you know, depending if we get good reviews at Fringe or if we get a good audience or maybe, you know, inshallah, we win an award or whatever, um, then I think that sets up in a, us in a good position to be like, hey, this is a story that people like. Let's make a lot of stuff with it. Yeah. Well, you know, I like we said, I saw I saw the show as it's been developing at Brooklyn Comedy Collective. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to Edinburgh for the first time last year in 2022. And oh. uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get back. I had such a great time. And I was only there for 10 days last okay. year. Uh, but as a reviewer, it felt like, oh, it felt overwhelming as a reviewer of yeah. shows. Because <laughs> there's thousands of shows and there's yeah. only one of me. So, right. <laughs> um, which is part of why I want to go back to try to see more. Yeah. Um, but I'm... I'm also interested to see how your show and other shows change because it, yes. it it's just one of those things that happens, especially when you do the show night after night, you go, Oh, I've got to change this. Right. Yeah. I think I've, I've definitely, I've performed it for obviously a very American coastal audience. I've only ever done it in New York and LA. My, um, I am working with a publicist over there. She is Jewish. She assured me there are plenty of Jews in Scotland. (laughs) And I think the humor translates. I'm like reading the, the, the uh, Mike Nichols uh, memoir. I'm like Mm -hmm. a couple of years behind everybody else, but like, it just, it just struck me how Jewish, like, just everything used to be like just shows with like not not explicitly about anything Shiva Shabbat just like you're like oh that's a Jewish family or that's a Jewish romantic lead or whatever and so I'm sort of hoping that it transcends um culturally I think but... show business I think they're still aware of Jewishness <laughs> you know but that I, I we'll see we will see um yeah, I'm definitely curious, not just strangers, but I have a couple friends in in Scotland that um who live there and I was I was I think I'm going to like schedule a call with them and be like, "Okay, do they know who this person is? Do they know who this person is?" you know? <laughs> if I say Brian Singer, like does that ring about, you know, like stuff like that. Like <laughs> do you I, I hear Kevin more... I hear Kevin Spacey has an Airbnb. Right, right. Like... Do you have a more Scottish example of a sort of popular sexual abuser that I can use? <laughs> <laughs> well sophie zucker thank you so much for taking time out of picketing to oh, yeah. zoom with me uh i wish you and all of the writers more than luck uh i wish you great success with, with the strikes and uh have fun in scotland yeah have fun. i'll see you there yeah all right <laughs> the deal <laughs> This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.